Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Neil White, and from Backpage, this is Between the Lines, a podcast that tells the stories behind great sports writing. As football editor at The Guardian, Marcus Christensen runs one of the most talented desks in British sports journalism. Marcus is also one of the chief architects of a project that has become a bit of a landmark in world football. That's their annual list of the top 100 footballers in the world. The list for male footballers began in 2013, looking back at performance in 2012. Last year, 2019, looking back at 2018, they added a second list for female footballers. The list is presented beautifully and with great scope for interaction, with lots of filters and prisms through which to view it. The Jewel in the Crown, though, is an accompanying spreadsheet which breaks down the mechanics of the list, how many votes each player received, who got the most first picks. It even gives the full choices, that's 1 through 40, of each of the 239 judges while protecting their anonymity. The result is something deeper and more considered than the Ballon d'Or or other annual awards. And I'm going to say it's the best aggregation of qualified opinions that we have, which I suppose just means it's the most trustworthy ranking of the world's footballers in any given calendar year. So please check out the men's and women's list on the Guardian's website. All previous years are still there. And let's start this chat with Marcus's own definition of the project. So the Guardian Top 100 has been going since 2013 and we invite as many experts as possible. This year we were 239 to vote for their uh, best footballers uh, during the calendar year. They can choose 40 players uh, with a top scoring player and their number one getting 40 points and their number 40 getting one point. And then we add it all up and then we get to our top 100 at the end. You, you said it, it started in 2013. Can you talk us through the origins of the project as a whole? Well, it's it was a bit different then because there weren't as many lists as there were now. And at The Guardian, we've always kind of, we've been proud to cover uh, world football rather than just English football. And we thought it would be a good idea to get experts uh, to have their say and we started in quite a small scale I think we were possibly 12 judges or something in the beginning and it's just grown from that and it's become a little bit of a thing I think it's got its own Wikipedia page and and it's just it's it's grown and grown and and my colleague Steve McMillan would say it's grown out of all proportion as he has to collate all the votes and then put them into a spreadsheet and so on and I keep inviting more and more 
uh, both us, but I want to have a good geographical spread and so on to make it as good as possible. So that's 2013, 12 judges. And in case yeah. you missed Marcus saying there in his description of the project, the 2019 survey had 239 judges. So that is an incredible expansion. And I think it's fair to say that every year has been a leveling up. Each, yes. each year, the, the number of judges has increased. So you mentioned a, a geographical spread. Are you interested in t- at all in any other broadening of the demographic? Do you keep an eye on the age of your judges or the mix between journalists and former players or any, any other thing apart from the geography? Uh, mainly geography. And also we obviously try to do to make it as even as possible for the uh, bigger leagues um, because the more you watch Premier League football, the more you will know about the players, you're probably more likely to vote for them. So we've been trying slowly, slowly to increase um, the number of judges in in France, Italy, Spain and Germany, for example, and they are going up, but we are still uh, obviously a a UK publication. So I, I despair sometimes that the Premier League players are a bit too high for my liking, but that's not to say that I'm right all the time. And, and mm-hmm. obviously there are a lot of judges from, say, Africa and Asia who watch a lot of Premier League football as well. So I think at the moment they are probably, the, the Premier League players are probably getting a lot of votes from that. But we we, we try to make it better every year, like, like I said. And I think we're getting to a state now where I think there were 250 players getting votes and, and there are so many good players missing out on the top 100. And I think in the beginning when there were obviously only 12 judges or something, there were some discrepancies of if one had a favourite player, then it would probably make the list. Uh, whereas now it's it's not enough. And you can see that the list is pretty settled after about 70 80 judges, which is demoralizing when you have another 210 to, to count or whatever. But it just shows that the, the <laughs> end, it's pretty pretty settled and it's, it's a pretty good list. And I don't think too many people can argue about it. There, there was obviously be always discussions about it and that's part of the fun. But it's I was pleased with both the women's and the men's list. Okay, so let's try to walk through the process a little. Can you tell me, see if you can remember... When did the first spade go into the ground for the 2019 survey? At what point in the year do you, you know, get your big binder out or open that folder on your desktop and say, "Jesus, we'll have to, we'll have to start the the, the top 100 now." It's a good question, and and demoralizingly, it's pretty much after we do our other big projects of the year, which is the Next Generation series, which picks 60 world talents from the football world and 20 Premier League talents and follow them for five years. And obviously, when we started this uh, project, it was all easy and you did one year and you updated them. But now it's reached its full cycle. So we got five years and five years of updates of 60 players each. So that kind of finishes early October. And then there is a week of, of nice feeling of not having to open a spreadsheet or anything. And then it kind of starts mid-October <laughs> with um, getting in touch with the judges, see if they want to vote again, new judges, and so on. And then what we do is is really time-consuming but really good. I think we, we collect a short or a long list with about 300 players from all the um, different continents and all the different leagues from our local experts there. And they all write two or three sentences about each player just to give the judges a reminder of what what the calendar year has been for that player because it's very easy to remember what someone has done in October 
but very hard, it seems, to remember what someone did in March. So that long list takes about a month right. to collect and, and get ready and then it's sent out on a PDF and, and um, the spreadsheet if they want to open it like that. And then they get about two or three weeks to vote and most of the votes are in by the 1st of December. So the recruitment of new judges, I guess, you know, every year you're trying to deepen that data set. You're trying to, to get more judges on board. Is that like a committee decision? Is somebody suggesting a certain former player or perhaps a certain journalist who wasn't on the, the panel in the previous years? It's quite nice, actually, because uh, some people get in touch and say, could I please vote? And if we look at their credentials and, and so oh, on. Wow. We think that they fit and they, they watch and write enough about international football. Then we normally say yes. And some people are recommended. And uh, obviously the, the former players are quite difficult to get hold of. And, and we don't pay anyone for this. Uh, but most people are generally proud and, and delighted to be part. And, and what everyone says is, well, the only problem is that it's so difficult to pick just 40 that that is the main problem but people are very enthusiastic uh, even the players saying it's a pleasure to take part and I think it has become something that is, is respected and so on and, and I think the Guardian's name around the world has got a very good reputation and people are actually pleased to be to be doing something for us and, and to help out in this um, survey. Yeah so on Between the Lines we are interested in process and we're interested in how these stories fit into the journalism model and Martin and I are both former sports journalists and I wonder how the list is seen in the Guardian office as a whole beyond the sports desk which we all know is always respected amongst the other departments of a newspaper is it something that the paper as a whole is proud of or is it seen as um, something that the the football nerds over in the corner obsess about for three or four months every year I, I think it's uh, really appreciated by, by the rest of the organization as well. And I think it, it's, when it gets to the top 10, it, it gets a, a big show on the front of the network front, as we call it, the actual Guardian front page rather than just the football page. And, and there's a lot of discussions in, in various uh, departments of the paper, not just sport, and people come up and say, Who, how can Van Dijk not win or... How can Rashford be on the list, or or whatever it is, and then you can see it, and it's talked about in the, in the main conference and so on. I think having the women's one for the last two years as well has has helped, and it's it's obviously something we at the Guardian want to drive equality and so on, and that's been very very positively met, and and it's we're really proud to have done it, and the viewing figures have been extraordinary. It was three hundred thousand for the women's this year. Uh, which is fantastic, and, and a million actually for the men's. But to have, to have got to 300,000 for the women's one in the second year, it's it's absolutely outstanding. And I'm almost more pleased about that than, than the men's one. Um, so it is appreciated and also a big, big kind of nod to the interactive team at The Guardian, which has made the interactive look fantastic when you flick through the the different ones and there's a drop down menu you can you can choose the leagues or positions yeah. or nationalities uh, but I, I do think it looks extraordinarily nice and i know i'm biased but i i think it looks nice on mobile on desktop on tablets and so on they've done a great job with it well it looks you're right it looks absolutely beautiful but you didn't mention the spreadsheet which is absolutely incredible and just is what you want you want to see that breakdown of how 
Messi got to the top over Van Dijk and how many first picks he got and all of that stuff. Yes, on the site proper, it looks wonderful. The the, the images and the options to break it down by different categories are, are, are great. But my goodness, that spreadsheet is the whole deal. It's absolutely wonderful. Have you ever tracked the correlation on either the men's or women's list between the player that ranks number one over the years and the Ballon d'Or? Uh, we haven't actually, but it is, I mean, the top three are normally fairly similar. And I think that the spreadsheet shows, uh, I've actually got it in front of me, that it's um, Messi ended up on 9,158, Van Dijk had 8,849, and Mane in third had 8,383. So it's 300 and 500 points and so on. And there were quite dramatic differences in in the even within the top 10 so it's quite a settled list and it's it's um, always pretty similar to the Ballon d'Or and I guess that's a sign of quality we don't want to be the same and I think our list is you know, is much kind of wider and broader and you can look down and, and you see kind of all the 180 players that got more than one vote and so on and down and see how many people actually got votes and it's it's great and i do i mean it's, it is really nerdy but that spreadsheet i i agree i think it's a it's a thing of beauty and I, I even enjoy inputting some of the scores and seeing how they move up and down when you kind of sort the spreadsheet on the final score and so on and thinking surely that person must come in the top 100 so we can publish it rather than finish on the hundred the second place like Keilo Navas did or Benucci or Paco Alcacer <laughs> or whoever they are and I was quite pleased that Gareth Bale missed out because frankly in 2019 he hasn't done enough but it was uh, quite a close call in the end. What kind of feedback do you get on this? Because I think anyone who's ever worked in sports journalism knows that man-by-man -man ratings are bad enough. If you, if you give a football player a, a, a 6 out of 10, you could find that you're getting an angry phone call from the player or the agent uh, the, following, the following Monday. And I, I just wonder, this has become such a thing, such an influential, widely viewed, powerful list. Have you ever had any feedback from players or their agents or a manager perhaps or a club owner? saying where's my guy or you know how is he number 27 and not number seven no we don't we don't hear from um, agents and, and um, players as much on this one for the next generation sometimes we have agents getting in touch saying oh you need to pick this guy and so on which we obviously completely ignore but they are the younger players obviously fighting more for worldwide coverage and so on which we can obviously offer so it's not i mean i do really enjoy the reader interaction and we've done it so often now and for so long that that the um the skin is quite thick and 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 even on twitter when you tweet out and say people say this list is absolute rubbish and so on and then you, you've got a smile and obviously it doesn't no one can agree well, not everyone can agree with it. It's absolutely impossible. And the, one of the funniest things was one French journalist said that he uh, he emailed me and said, here are my 40 lists. And and then he said, well, as soon as I sent that email, I disagreed with my own list. And it kind of sums it up because it is absolutely impossible. And I sometimes look at my list and think, how, how did I put him at 34? So it is, I mean, we, we take it seriously, but it is a bit of fun as well. And I think some readers get in touch and some someone had a go at Holland being at 
whichever place he was quite high and then I pointed out that he was second best goal scorer in Champions League this season and they said okay fair enough and then we we both moved on Thanks to Marcus Christensen for talking to me for this episode of Between the Lines, which is a Backpage podcast produced by me, Neil White, and Martin Gregg. Our music is by Michael McGarry. Next up, we've been asking all our guests about their favourite sports book, and I asked Marcus about his. Find out what he chose and why in the next episode of Between the Lines. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.